Hey everybody, this is Brent Kellogg, the pastor of Hill Spring Church in Sand Springs, Oklahoma. And this is our podcast. Thanks for taking time to join us today. Our prayer is that this would inspire you, build your faith, and help you take the next step in Christ. Enjoy the message. Come on, put your hands together for Jesus this morning. Amen, everybody. Normally I would get up here and remind you of a couple of things you've already heard about, like the Exo Banquet. We got a lot of work to do, so I gotta get straight to business. If you're a note taker, you realize I just gave you a bunch of blanks today and that'll all make sense as we kind of walk through that. I do wanna say this, there's a, there's a lot here today, but um, three really smart and really good looking people out of first service told me it's the best sermon they've ever heard. So it just depends on what category you wanna fit in. You know what I'm saying? So anyway. Uh, one of my favorite movies is the movie about the 1980 um, hockey team. Disney made a movie, Miracle on Ice or whatever, and uh, Herb Brooks kind of put together all these college guys. And what was so, like, Americans have been so bad at hockey for so long, and he kind of took a different approach, approach to, to coaching hockey. And at the end of the movie, Kurt Russell, who plays Herb Brooks, the head coach, he makes this statement. He said, shortly after that, we started allowing professional athletes, started athletes that got paid to compete in the Olympics. And it really kind of changed some of the genuineness of the game. And that's probably not even the right word, but it really did change. And that was never more prolific and to this day hasn't been since the 1992 Olympics, the Summer Olympics, when we allowed NBA basketball all-stars to make up the American Olympic basketball team. And so in 1992, that roster was like, all but, I think, two were NBA All-Stars, and that became known as the Dream Team. Like, if you just Google Dream Team, first and foremost, all the great volunteers at Hillspring pops up, and then, no, no, it doesn't happen that way. But in 1992, that's what they were known for, and, like, everybody on there was, was just had, and, and like, they, in the Olympic tournament, they averaged beating, average beating their opponents by 44 points. And so some, they beat by a whole lot more, some they beat by less, but the title dream team, this is probably the, no, this is definitely the best basketball team that's ever been assembled and quite possibly one of the best teams of any sports to ever be assembled. Today, we're gonna look at a passage where Jesus is assembling his dream team. And there's no Charles Barkley's, no Scottie Pippins, no Michael Jordan's on this team. It's a bunch of names, like some we've heard, some we may not be that familiar with. And just full disclosures, we're kind of walking through the Gospel of Mark. When I came to this passage this week, I'm like, okay, Lord, where are we going? Like, he just said, let's camp out here. And so this is, this will be a little bit different because we're gonna walk through the disciples and I'm gonna tell you what we know, I'm gonna tell you what we think about them. And again, Really good-looking and smart people think this is a great message. So I, you do that what you want to. Mark chapter 3 is where we're at. And, and Mark gives us the names of the 12 followers of Jesus. And in this story, he calls them to the next level. Like, take your next step on your faith journey. He calls them up with him. Jesus is in the throes of ministry by the time we get to Mark chapter 3. Like, hey, Jesus, heal me. Hey, Jesus, heal my kid. Hey, Jesus, cast the demon out of this. Hey, Jesus, fix that. And so his popularity is just at the beginning of that pinnacle. And so there's a lot of demand. So much so that in the verses prior to what I'm gonna read, like in like verses 9, 10, 11, and 12, he tells his disciples, hey, just get a boat. So in case we have to make a quick exit or get out of here, we can get in the boat and flee by water. And because the, the demands on him were just constant. So Mark chapter three, verse 13, it says, 
afterward, after that full day of ministry where he had been healing and teaching and so on and so forth, Jesus went up on a mountain and he called out the ones he wanted to go with him. Like this is their next step of faith moment. And they came to him and they came to him. There's a yes there. Okay. Jesus called them up and they said yes. Then he appointed 12 of them and he called them his apostles. We know them primarily as disciples, but here Mark uses the word apostle. I'll unpack that in just a second. They were accompanying him. He would send them out to preach, giving them authority to cast out demons. They are, these are the 12 that he chose. And then he just lists out the 12 disciples. Okay, first, Simon, whom he named Peter. We'll talk about that. James and John, sons of Zebedee. Jesus named them sons of thunder. We'll talk about that. Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus. Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, Judas Iscariot, who later betrayed him. What do we know about these 12? Some we know quite a bit, and you'll see that as we kind of unpack their story. The Bible talks a lot about John and James and Peter or Simon Peter, but then the knowledge meter's rather low on some of the disciples like Thaddeus or Bartholomew, okay? So what I wanna do today is I wanna take these 12 individuals and I wanna show you what we know from scripture. So like I just gave you 12 lines, but you might wanna take your own notes. Because some of the scriptures like, well, about John, they'll be, and you might want to just jot those down on the side. You don't have to, but like if you want to go back later and do your own study on him, you, you certainly can, can do this, and the Googles can help you do that as well. But I want to show you what we know about them from scripture, but you're also going to hear this word about every disciple, tradition, meaning church history, okay? Church history tells us some things we don't know because it's not in scripture, but we do maybe know something or have a hint at something through history. If that makes sense, say yeah. yeah. All right, so there are three lists of disciples in the gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. John does not have a list. So Mark was the first gospel to be written. It is the shortest. It's the most active and then Matthew and Luke used his gospel as a source to write theirs. So Matthew, Mark, and Luke all, have, and their storyline is very, very, very similar because most believe that they used Mark kind of as the outline. They're what we call the synoptic gospels because the synopsis or the storyline of their gospel is all very similar. And then you have the outlier, John. John, we believe, was written by one of the disciples, and, and we'll talk about that, but John didn't even know those gospels existed. And so he just did from his memory. So his storyline flows a little bit different. Some things are similar, some things are, are a little bit different, but the three synoptics carry this list of disciples. And then the book of Acts, which was written by Luke, who also wrote the gospel of Luke. So Luke includes the list of disciples in his gospel, and he includes the list of disciples in Acts chapter one. So there's four lists in the New Testament that mention these guys, okay? So Mark chapter three, verse 16 says, these are the 12 he chose. And the first one he began with was Simon, whom Jesus named Peter. A lot of times he's referred to as Simon Peter, okay? He's known as Saint Peter. He's also known as Cephas because Jesus called him that. I'll show you that verse in a minute. Upon this rock, upon this Cephas, I will build my church. He is one of the 12, but he's also one of Jesus' closest companions. After Jesus was crucified, buried, resurrected, 
walked on earth and did ministry and then was, was ascended into heaven. After that, Peter really kind of came on the forefront as the kind of the leader, if you will, of the church. Now, there were 11 remaining disciples, but Peter really became one of the most influential Christian leaders, so much so that in Catholic tradition, in the Catholic church, they believe him to be the first pope. Now, has anybody ever told you a funny story or a joke about, well, I went to heaven and walked up to the pearly gates, and there St. Peter met me at the gate. Why not John? Why not Bartholomew? Why not Thaddeus? There's a reason why that kind of, well, Peter's at the pearly gates. Let me show you that in scripture, okay? So, Matthew chapter 16, this idea of Peter being the gatekeeper is right here. Verse 15, it says, then he, Jesus, asked them, he's talking to his disciples, who do they think I am? And, and they, they said, well, some think you're a prophet, some think whatever. And Jesus asked them, he goes, well, what about you? Who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter, the disciple we're talking about, he said, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus replied, you are blessed, Simon, son of John. There's another name we had for him. Simon, son of John, because my father in heaven revealed it. Like you didn't know that on your own. The Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God revealed that to him, okay? You didn't learn this from any human being. Now I say to you that you are, here's his new name, Peter or Cephas. You are Peter, which means the rock. And upon the rock, I will build my church and all the power of hell cannot conquer it. Verse 19, and I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Okay, he's talking about a spiritual principle about the authority that you and I as Christians, the authority the church would have. But this is where we get that idea that Peter's standing at the gate of heaven. And I, I don't think Jesus was saying, listen, Peter, you're gonna have to spend all of eternity at the pearly gates going, you're in, mm-mm. You're in, mm -mm. like that, that's not what that means. It's more about the spiritual authority that we would have. But that's where that joke comes from is Matthew chapter 16, verse 19, that you have the keys to, to the kingdom. Bet you didn't know that. Uh, Galatians chapter two, verse nine. It says, in fact, James, Peter, this disciple, and John are known as the pillars. So, so Peter became one of the most influential leaders of the church, so much so that on the day of Pentecost, in Acts chapter two, when they receive the gift of God's spirit, the Holy Spirit, Peter goes out and he preaches a message explaining what would happen. 3,000 people got saved at his first sermon. The brother started out all right. You know what I'm saying? In the gospels, Peter walked on water, Matthew chapter 14. In Luke chapter 22, when Jesus has been arrested, he's put on trial, and, and he denies even knowing Jesus. Like, hey, aren't you one of him? No, 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 I don't even know who that man is. In Luke chapter 22, Peter denied that he knew Jesus. I'm gonna ask you a silly question. Does anyone in this house like bacon? Come on, can I get a better amen? Bunch of okies, right? Pork chops, smoked pork ribs. Mm, is it church time to be over so we can go eat some barbecue, right? All right. Peter is the reason you can eat bacon and pork chops. Can somebody say amen? amen? My favorite disciple. Acts chapter 10, something significantly happens to Peter and a couple of theological things come from that moment. He has this trance, he has this vision and, and so he's kind of up on top of the place where he's staying and, and he has in this trance, God lowers down this big tarp type thing or this big blanket and all of these animals that to a Jewish person would be considered unclean, 
appear to him and, and, and he hears God say, don't call anything that I've made unclean. So the first thing that did was that changed some of the dietary restrictions for Jewish Christians. Because prior to that moment, Jew, even practicing Jews, they won't eat pork. Because of Old Testament, it's like unclean. They won't eat bacon. They won't eat buzzard. Like, what's wrong? No, I'm just kidding. Like, if you want to eat buzzard, you can because of Acts chapter 10. But the first thing it did was it changed some of the dietary restrictions. Christians no longer, because of that moment, Christians no longer theologically were bound to a kosher diet, if you will. But the second bigger theological thing that came from that trance in Acts chapter 10 was that it confirmed to Peter that the gospel was not just for Jewish people. Now, Jesus came and did ministry to Jews occasionally, to Samaritans. But like, he didn't go to Rome. He didn't go to Spain. Jesus just came for the Jewish people. And what happened in this moment, what Peter sees the Lord to be saying is the gospel is more than just for Jewish people. In scripture, there's two categories of people. There are Jews who are the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the 12 tribes of Israel, the Jewish people. And then there's everybody else. And a common phrase we would use in our vernacular today would be non-Jews, but the old Bible term is Gentile, okay? I'm German. That's why I speak so angry. You know, I'm a Gentile. If you're not Jewish, you're a Gentile. And so this vision, this trance, if you will, revealed to Peter that, hey, the gospel is for all the nations of the earth. And you and I ought to be thankful for that. Amen, everybody? So... Peter was the source, and I talked about this a couple weeks ago, that he was the source of Mark's gospel. It's possible John Mark, who wrote Mark, knew Jesus. It's possible he was one of his followers. But we accredit that Mark was a disciple of Peter and that Peter was the source for Mark's telling of all the Jesus stories. But there's two other books in the Bible, very cleverly labeled First and Second Peter, right, that we give credit to Peter as the author. And I'm gonna tell you, as we go through these disciples, we're front-loading information because by the time we get to 9, 10, and 11, we, we just don't have the same information that we have about Peter, James, Andrew, John, so on and so forth. So like you're watching your clock and you go, how many is he doing? And it's what time? No, I promise this will get faster. And if it doesn't, I'll talk faster. No, I'm just kidding. All right. So each one of them, I wanna talk about their death because that is significant. According to tradition, Remember, I warned you, I would say that a lot, according to tradition, meaning according to church history. This is not in scripture. This comes from historical documents or basically church legend. Peter was crucified by Emperor Nero right around the year 64 AD, okay? And we believe it was in conjunction with the Great Fire of Rome. And there's some pretty interesting history around the Great Fire of Rome. Many believe it was started by Emperor Nero because he was trying to... He wanted a part of Rome because he wanted to build his own palace there, but like lower class people live there. And so he just started this great fire to kind of clear that out. And then he blamed it on the Christians. And so they went merciless on this campaign to arrest, torture, execute Christians. And we believe, according to tradition, that Peter was one of those Christians who was crucified as a result of the great fire of Rome right around 64 AD. There's also a work out there called the Acts of Peter, not included in the Bible because we can't necessarily confirm its source or its writing, but it's really just stories that revolve around Peter. 
claims he was asked, he asked, actually, he asked if he could be crucified upside down because he didn't feel worthy to be crucified in the same way that Jesus was. Like Jesus was crucified with his head up, but Peter, if you're gonna crucify me, I don't deserve to die that way. Crucify me upside down, okay? So not every disciple, we have this much content, but we'll spend the most time on Peter, James, and John, okay? Next on the list, so disciple number two, is James, son of Zebedee, all right? He's also known as James the Greater, very clever name, right? Um, He was one of Jesus' main three disciples. Like these three closest disciples got to experience and do things the others did not, like the Mount of Transfiguration. There's a moment where Jesus resurrected a little girl and they were in the room when the others weren't, okay? So James and John, and we'll talk about John next, they were brothers, Okay, and then there was the third of those, which is Simon Peter. Like many of the disciples, James was a fisherman before Jesus called him. And what what makes his story hard is there's three figures in the New Testament by the name of James. And I was reading, it just kept saying the Jameses, the James. That's hard to say, a lot of spit gets involved. So I just say three figures named James instead of, it's like, how do you make Jesus possessive? Jesus is... You know, it's hard. So same thing with James's, right? So this James, who's the brother of John, was known as James the Greater. Now, full disclosure, Pastor Joe has asked if we could refer to him now as Joe the Greater from henceforth. You do with that what you want to, all right? It could be because he was uh, taller, like James the Greater was taller than the others. It could be because of importance, and influence because he really was one of the pillars of the church. It could be because he was old. And so that would be the reasoning we would use with Joe the Greater is just because of age. I love you, Joe. I love you. I love you. Joe the Greater. Do with that what you want. All right. So James the Greater was one of the three companions. James the Lesser, <laughs> very clever name, right? Uh, he's also a disciple. And I'll talk to him as we get towards the bottom of the list. And then the third James, you got James the Greater, James the Lesser, and then there's James, who's the half-brother of Jesus, okay? The reason why I say half-brother is because Jesus did not have a biological earth, human flesh father. Mary was conceived miraculously by the Holy Spirit. Jesus was conceived supernaturally in Mary. She had not been with a man, okay? So Jesus had the mother Mary, and his God was God the Father, But Mary was married to Joseph, and Mary and Joseph would go on and have children. One of them, one of Jesus' brothers, really half-brothers, was a guy by the name of James. So James now starts to get confusing because I have James the greater a disciple, James the lesser a disciple, and then I have James the brother of Jesus who becomes a very prominent Christian figure in the early church, okay? Brother James, the was the half-brother of Jesus, he wrote the book of James. Not James the disciple. And a lot of people get confused with that, all right? In this list that Mark reads off, he refers to James and John as sons of thunder, right? He doesn't tell us why Jesus called them that. He just never tells us what the nickname means. It just says that Jesus named them the sons of thunder. It could have, like we assume it referred to their speech or kind of their temperament. They could be a little bit hot-headed or maybe their ambition. They were very ambitious, okay? So in the Bible, James and John, these similar characteristics, 
James, son of Zebedee, James the Greater, is most known for asking Jesus if he and John could call down fire from heaven to destroy a village that had been a little bit rude. Like they wouldn't show hospitality. And James is like, just get them. Like, can't we just call down fire? And we think that story is kind of where that sons of thunder came from, but we're not actually sure, okay? Again, James asked Jesus if he and his brother John could sit at his right and his left hand at his kingdom, at his throne in heaven. In Mark chapter 10, James promised to follow Jesus even unto death. Like, I'll follow you even if it means I die with you. In Acts chapter 12, we have the story of James being martyred. He's one of two disciples that, we, that Scripture talks about how they die. Okay, So we have the story of James being martyred by Herod. He's the only disciple other than Judas that Scripture tells us how he dies. So there's some church history. It's not in Scripture, and we're not even really sure if it's true. Because what snake oil salesmen began to realize is that there was great money in relics. There was great money in tours. There was great money in, oh, yeah, yeah, come on over here and look at this pile of dirt. This is where uh, Bartholomew was buried. Yeah, 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 give me 20 bucks and I'll let you take some dirt. And they began to realize there was great money to be made in that early church history. So you begin to see with some of the disciples, there's all kinds of stories Oh, well, he made it to Chicago and lived at this pizza eatery. Yeah, for 20 bucks, you can eat there too. And so they kind of get some wild stories about this. So one of those traditions claims that James, son of Zebedee, was a missionary to Spain and that his body's buried there. The problem with that is, Scripture tells us he was killed by Herod in Jerusalem. So there's not a lot of Proof, not a lot of claim to that. Now, he might have gone to Spain as a missionary but made it back, but the Bible tells us that he was, he was killed in Jerusalem. If you're still with me, say amen. amen. All right. Remember, smart, good-looking people like this. Here we go. Next on the list is James's brother. <laughs> you can say that all week long, aren't you? John, John, son of thunder, thunder, Sunday. Sunday. Okay. So Mark refers to James and John again as those the son of Zebedee. At one point, they're sons of John, like they're listed that way, sons of thunder. John is most known for, hey, can we call fire down on these Karens that live over here that are really rude? That's my version of the story. Um, he asked Jesus, can we sit by your hand in heaven, like the right hand and the left hand? But then John 19, this disciple John, and this is not John the Baptist, the first good Southern Baptist. This is not him. That, that's not even real. Okay. Um, John the Baptist was a cousin of Jesus, and John the Baptist was killed before Jesus' ministry really even reached its pinnacle. Okay? So John the Baptist didn't write anything that we have recorded in Scripture. This is John the disciple. And when Jesus is hanging on the cross, John was the only disciple there at the moment. And he looks down to his mother and says, Woman, be, behold your son. Son, behold your mother. And he basically is asking John, will you take care of my mom? Because I'm a little bit tied up here. <laughs> I'm a little busy. And so in that moment, he asked Jesus' friend John to take care of Jesus' mother, Mary. Okay. Uh, John chapter 20. Like they get word that the tomb is empty and Peter and John go to the temple 
clearly there's a little bit of competition between them because it said that the disciple whom Jesus loved, which is John, beat Peter. So he's just like bragging a little bit, but it's fine, all right? Galatians chapter two, I've already hit that, but it referenced that Peter, James, and John were the pillars of the church, okay? You still with me? There's five books in the New Testament that are accredited to John the disciple, okay? And we believe that this disciple wrote them all, even though the grammar is very different. Like some of the grammar like was written by a very intelligent person, like maybe somebody that went to Oklahoma State, and then there's grammar that was written from somebody from the University of Alabama or whatever, you know what I'm saying? You can tell, tell the difference. I'm glad y'all with me. But we believe that John the disciple was the source for the information. So you have the gospel of John, and then you have 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John that are three little bitty letters that are tucked away at the end of the New Testament. And their themes are all very similar in the terms of the love of Jesus. John so much goes into the love and the mercy of Jesus. And, and, and John was he, he just portrayed that way. And then the third book that was written by the hands of John was the book of Revelation about the end or the revelation of the end of days, Okay. So John made it to Ephesus. He pastored the church at Ephesus, grew it to a great number. Then he was arrested, and he was sent to the island of Patmos, which was a prison island, much like our Alcatraz used to be out in the Bay of San Francisco. He was on that island. While he was on the island of Patmos, he had the revelation of the end times, and he wrote it down in the book of Revelation. We believe, tradition, it's not in Scripture, we believe he was released from prison from the island of Patmos, and went back to Ephesus where he died of an early age, I mean, died at an old age. He, did not, he was not martyred. He, he was like one of the only disciples that just died from natural causes, okay? And so that, we don't have that in Scripture. That's just tradition that John, in right around 98 AD, so he would have been, he would have been significantly older, Okay. So next on the list is Andrew. So keep in mind, Jesus had his three closest companions that were with him at the Mount of Transfiguration. They were with him in some other significant moments. Peter, James, and John, which we've talked about. And then the fourth disciple really almost is like one of those three. And it's a guy by the name of Andrew. All right? Andrew was also a fisherman. Andrew was Peter's brother. Peter was the first one we talked about. So Simon, Peter, and Andrew were brothers. James and John were brothers, okay? According to the gospel of John, Andrew was the first disciple that Jesus called, like that went and followed Jesus. What's also interesting about Andrew, before he followed Jesus, remember John the Baptist that was the cousin of Jesus that was out in the wilderness pointing people? No, that's the Messiah. Andrew was one of his disciples. And, and, and John's like, no, 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 no. He's the guy you need to go follow. And Andrew's like, all right. And so Andrew was an early disciple of John the Baptist, and then he followed Jesus, okay? Remember that story I read in, in Matthew 16 where Jesus said, blessed are you, Simon. I'm gonna call you the rock because God revealed to you that you are the Messiah. So we give Peter credit for the revelation of Jesus being the Messiah, but John tells it differently. John says that Andrew was the first one to scratch at the idea that Jesus was the Messiah, okay? So when Andrew went and found his brother, Simon Peter, he's like, hey, we have found the one they call the Messiah, 
All right, fun fact. Um, his name, Andrew, in the Greek is Andrios, means manly. And like Rick means manly, right? You know what I'm saying? No, me either. Okay. Um, you will always notice that Andrew is listed as Peter's brother, never vice versa. It's never Peter, Andrew's brother. And my brother has the same problem. He's always referred to as Brent's brother. He's fine. Counseling helped him unpack all that. But it's, it's, that's just a little. John chapter 6, Jesus feeds the 5,000. It was Andrew who found the food. Andrew said, hey, here's a little boy who has five loaves of bread and two fishes. So he was the first youth pastor. There you go. All right. Jesus had three close friends, Peter, James, and John, but we really think Andrew was right there, probably. John says he was the first, but as a really fourth close companion. All right, you guys still with me? What number are we on? We're, we're ready for five? Y'all wanna quit here and just pick up next week? You've already sat through this once. All right. Um, I gotta talk about how Andrew died. So Andrew was a missionary, he went to um, Scythica. If you put that map up, that's like that area north um, of the Black Sea. And tradition says he was crucified in a Greek city of Petros around 60 AD. So he, he died about 30 years after Jesus left. Um, he did not consider himself worthy of being crucified like Jesus. So he actually made one request, would you turn the cross sideways? And so Peter was nailed to a cross, but it wasn't really like a T, it was an X. It was that kind of X cross, which has become known as uh, St. Andrew's cross. And according to history, he hung there, was nailed there for three days, preaching and proclaiming the truth about Jesus until he died from that cross. So next on the list is Philip or Philippe depending on what language you are. So Philip. Philip the apostle is only mentioned eight times in the New Testament, okay? Four of those eight were the lists. Matthew, Mark, Luke have their list of disciples, the book of Acts, okay? So there's only four other references to him in the New Testament, and he's confusing because there's another prominent Christian that comes on this scene in the early church that also is known as Philip. I'm like, guys, Last names would have helped a lot. You know what I'm saying? Like, let's just call him Philip Smith. You know, I, I mean, call a fella Kellogg or something. I don't know. So anyway, there's three other significant people by the name of Philip. Two of them are sons of King Herod, so they don't really fit a lot of early Christian history. The other confusing Philip, you have Philip the disciple, but then you have a guy that comes on the scene that's named Philip the evangelist, Okay. And these two are often confused and, and easily mistaken, Philip the evangelist and Philip the disciple or Philip the apostle, okay? Acts chapter six shows us where the other Philip, the new, not the disciple, but the other Philip was called. And so the church was growing. Remember Peter preached that sermon, 3,000 people were saved. A lot of people were becoming Christians and the demand on the church leadership was a lot. And the, the, the disciples were like, man, we, we, gotta, we gotta take care of this and feed those. And, and Jesus said, we gotta help the poor and we gotta do all this. But man, these people are wanting to know more about Jesus and I gotta preach and I gotta teach and I need time to prepare that. And so what they did is they said, hey, let's recruit some servants 
to kind of help take care of what they can take care of. And then we'll take care of some of the leadership, the organizational and the teaching stuff. So they called a group of men to be deacons. The word deacon, not to be confused with demon, two different things, but the word deacon means servant, all right? And so Philip the evangelist is listed in Acts chapter six as one of the first men to be called into the serving or the deacon ministry, not to be confused with Philip the disciple. If that makes sense, say, uh-huh. Okay, so one of the few details the Bible gives us about Philip the disciple is he's from the same place that Peter and Andrew, those brothers, they're from, they're from a town called Bethsaida, all right? And then later, Scripture tells us that some Greek men wanted to see Jesus. They come up, they'd heard about this. They wanted to see the show. And so these Greeks who were from Bethsaida as well, they come to see Jesus, and the person they talk to is Philip. Well, it's possible Philip knew them from Bethsaida, but it's also possible Philip spoke good Greek. We don't know. We, it's just one of his stories. It's one of the stories we have in the Bible is that the Greek men talked to Philip and said, hey, would you show us Jesus? Philip's most notable moment in the gospel is his bringing a guy by the name of Nathaniel to Jesus. Like there's a little bit of, hey, man, you need to see Jesus. And he brings a guy by the name of Nathaniel, okay? Nathaniel, that we'll get to in just a second, is only mentioned in the gospel of John, but we assume his other name to be Bartholomew, and I'll unpack all of that in just a second. John talks most about Philip. Jesus tests Philip. Remember when they were feeding the 5,000? He goes, Philip, what do you think we ought to do? Where, where do you think we could buy enough bread and food to feed all these people? And so he's testing Philip. That's one of the stories that pertain to Philip in John chapter six. And then in John chapter 14, Philip asked Jesus, like, hey, we wanna see the Father. And Jesus makes this profound theological statement. Anyone that has seen me has seen the Father. There's a lot of theology there because it's one of those moments, it's one of those verses in Scripture that confirms the theology that Jesus is the Son of God. He's divine. He wasn't just a man, wasn't just a teacher, but he is the Son of God. So thanks to Philip, we have just a piece of that theology. So how did Philip die? A little confusing because, again, there's multiple Philips, Philip the disciple, Philip the evangelist. Um, one tradition says it's possible he died from natural causes. But most believe, most others suggest that he was either stoned to death, beheaded, or crucified upside down. There was something about these disciples that didn't want to be crucified the same way that Jesus was. So either change the shape of the cross or crucify me upside down. There is a piece of literature out there called the Acts of Philip. We don't believe it was written by Philip. That's why it's not included in the New Testament, but it's the stories of Philip. And, and that source says that he was crucified upside down with Nathaniel, okay? And so uh, the crowd actually wanted them released and Philip said, no, let me die and go be with Jesus, but you can release him. So anyway, there you go, that's Philip. The next on the list is, I've already scratched at him a little bit, Bartholomew, or Bart for short. Bartholomew is one of the most obscure apostles his name only appears in the four lists. So Philip showed up eight times. Bartholomew only shows up four times. And the only times his name is mentioned is in the lists of disciples in Matthew, Mark, and Luke and the book of Acts, okay? 
He's never listed with a title. He's never listed with a description. There's no funny stories about him walking on water. Nothing. He's just listed as a disciple. We only know his name. And we know that he was closely associated with Philip. Okay? Matthew, Mark, and Luke, specifically the three gospel lists, Bartholomew is right with Philip. Like he's always listed that way. Perhaps, perhaps it's possible indicating some type of friendship, kinship, maybe they were cousins, relationship, maybe, okay? Not to be too much read into that. There is some question about Bartholomew because in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, again, those synoptic gospels, it's actually not the word Bartholomew, it's not the name, it's Bartholomew, B-A-R-T-A-L-A-M-A-I. And any time in Old Testament, or actually in biblical writing, when you see bar, it means son of. John bar Jonah. John, son of John. So really, it, it, what they have listed is not the word Bartholomew, it's Bartholomew, meaning son of Ptolemy. Meaning he probably had a first name, O-S-C-A-R. No, I'm just kidding, it's none. Just say if y'all awake. Okay. We think his first name was Nathaniel because he's referenced by Nathaniel in John's gospel. So we think his name to be Nathaniel Bartholomew, Nathaniel, son of Ptolemy, okay? So Nathaniel Bartholomew. Tradition says he was probably martyred, um, but there's several claims, like he died here, no, he died there. Like, again, this became big profit for early church. Is like, well, yeah, you can take some dirt off that. That's where Bartholomew's buried, okay? So they had to make up stories to go with that. The most popular story or tradition is the most gruesome. So I apologize, but this is what we believe to be about Bartholomew, that he was filleted alive, and then he was beheaded for the gospel, okay? What number are we on? Seven, six, don't care. Mazio's open. Right, all right, here we go. So number seven, with Matthew, and I talked about him a couple of weeks ago, Matthew, also known as Levi. I don't wanna rehash that story, but there's just a couple of important things about Matthew. Um, he is one of the few disciples that, that scripture records his calling. We talked about that. He was sitting at his tax collector booth and Jesus said, hey, come follow me. Some interesting about his name because he's mentioned as Levi, but he's also referenced as Matthew. Levi could be his last name, could be his tribe associate. Remember, there's 12 tribes of Israel, tribe of Judah, tribe of Issachar, tribe of Levi. So they, they think he could have been a Levite and so could have been his name. Or it could be that Levi was his Jewish name, Matthew was his Greek name. Either way, we're pretty, pretty certain this is the same person. What's significant about Levi or Matthew being invited into being a disciple is that everyone, including scum of the earth tax collectors, everyone is reachable and redeemable by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Can I get an amen? amen. Okay. Traditions disagree on where and how he died. Uh, there's a lot of different accounts. Some say he was beheaded. Some say he was stoned. Some say he was burned to death. Some say he was stabbed but most scholars do believe that he was martyred for the gospel. And if, like, you keep saying this word martyr, what does that mean? It means that you were killed, executed, um, brutally murdered because you were a Christian. He was a martyr. He died, gave his life for his faith and for the gospel, okay? Next on the list is Thomas. 
Throughout history, he's better known as Doubting Thomas. Guy makes one mistake and he lives with it forever, right? Um, he famously doubted the resurrection of Jesus and the other disciples are like, hey, Jesus is alive. In John 20, this is Thomas speaking. He says, unless I see the nail marks in his hands or put my fingers where the nails were or put my hand in his side, I will not believe. Ooh, there stands Jesus. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So Jesus appeared and let him do just that. Put your hands where the nails were and his hand in the side. So he's not a major Bible character. Thomas is only mentioned eight times in the New Testament. Four of those eight are in the list. So there's only four other references to him in scripture. Um, Thomas is not actually his given name. Interesting story. In the original manuscripts, Thomas is the Aramaic word or in the original language for twin. So when they kept referring to him, they just kept saying twin, twin. That was kind of his nickname. Hey, twin, what's up? Okay. And then sometimes you will see in scripture twin or Thomas called Didymus. Didymus also means twin, okay? So, so basically if you translate that back, Thomas called Didymus translates as twin, the one we called twin, Right, so Thomas Didymus is, you know, the guy that's name's twin, that we nicknamed him twin. I mean, that it, it, I didn't write this, okay. So for one of the minor apostles, like we don't know a lot about him, but we're pretty certain how he died from church history. Like this is one of the things we do have pretty good record on. Uh, one of the early church calendars said of the 3rd of July, St. Thomas was pierced with a lance in India, not a guy named Lance, like a Lance, right? Okay, so St. Thomas was pierced with a lance in India. Syrian Christian tradition specifies that took place July the 3rd of 72 AD. So we do have some pretty good clean record of how doubting Thomas the twin, called the twin, died. All right, next, James, son of Alphaeus, all right? James, son of Alphaeus is only mentioned in the four list, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and Acts. So there's no other real mention of him in the New Testament. A couple of quick things to point out. You still with me? Okay. It is possible, but probably not, but it is possible that he was the younger brother of Jesus. Remember, Mary and Joseph had more kids. One was named Jude. One was named James, all right? So it's possible this is James, the half-brother of Jesus, but probably not. It's not probable, okay? One more thing about James, son of Alphaeus. There is another disciple that has the title son of Alphaeus in it, okay? In Mark's gospel, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, Mark chapter two, when Jesus calls Levi the tax collector, this is what he says, as Jesus walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus sitting at his tax collector booth, okay? So it opens the possibility that James and Matthew, this is James the Lesser, James son of Alphaeus, James and Matthew are brothers. There's a problem with that. Every other time that there are disciples that are brothers, it's very clear. James and John, son of Zebedee, okay? Simon, Peter, and Andrew, brothers. Andrew, the brother of, brother of. 
And so even though these guys at times have reference to the same last name, they're never listed side by side. They're never included together. Scripture is not clear. So most likely they're not related. They just kind of had, like Smith, have the same last name. Okay? So because there are other people in the Bible named James, like James the Greater, his death is really confusing. We're, we're not sure. Tradition says James the Lesser was crucified in Egypt where he was preaching. There's another tradition that says he was stoned to death in Jerusalem. Okay. However, when I talk about stoned to death, y'all know I'm not talking about like the college. Right. Okay, we're clear on that. All right. <laughs> However he died, it was pretty obvious that he was martyred. All right. Jude. Hey, Jude. Next on the list, Jude of James is how this one is known, okay? Jude of James. James had a, Jesus had a brother named James. Jesus also had a brother named Jude. So it could have been a half-brother of Jesus, but context leans that it wasn't. Because context leans that, that, like there was a time where Mary and Jesus' brothers showed up to talk to him, and Jesus is like, well, who's my family? You guys are. You know, and, and so there's some conflict that his brothers were kind of frustrated. Hey, you, dude, you grew up in Nazareth just like we did. You might think you're the oldest and all that in a bag of chips. And so there was kind of some tension between Jesus and his brothers until he really was resurrected. But this could, be, this could have been one of Jesus's brothers. We're just not sure. Context leans away from that a little bit. Does that make sense? Okay, in Matthew and Mark's list of the disciples, Jude's name actually appears as Thaddeus, okay? Here's why. Because um, the name Judas, Jude, had a real strong negative connotation to it because of Judas, that we'll talk about in a minute, that betrayed Jesus. So, like, if you were named Judas back then, like, you looking to change, can I change my driver's license? I just don't want to be known by that. All right, and so it's quite possible that he didn't want to be known as Judas the disciple because there was another one that was the bad guy. So, hey, just call me Thad. You know, just call me Thaddeus. So Thaddeus was kind of his nickname for Jude of James. Did he write the letter? There's, there's a little one-page book at the end of the Old Testament, right before Revelation, called Jude. Did he write that? We don't know. All right, we don't know. Like, the assumption is that it was Jesus' brother that wrote that book, but it's also possible that this Jude of James, this Thaddeus, was Jesus' brother, so we're not sure. So um, according to tradition, St. Jude suffered martyrdom in 65 AD in Beirut, Lebanon. So he was missionary. He went and, and took that along with his friend and other disciple, Simon the Zealot, and usually Thaddeus and Simon are connected together, which leads to my next disciple, Simon the Zealot. Okay, almost done. Simon the Zealot is only mentioned again in the four lists of the disciples. We have no other biblical story about him. Okay, we know almost nothing about him except he has this quirky little name, the Zealot. Like the guy could have been the Energizer Bunny, could have been ambitious. We don't know where it came from. Like the prominent theory was there was this Jewish sect, this religious group of people kind of like a motorcycle club called the Zealots, okay? And so it's possible that he was one of those before he followed Jesus. Don't know if he rode a Harley or what that was, you know what I'm saying? But it's possible that he was part of that religious group called the Zealots 
But then some people think, well, maybe he was just zealous for Jesus. Like, he's, let's just go. And so they could have called him Simon the Energizer. We don't know, but he is named Simon the Zealot, okay? Um, there's eight different theories on his death. One of them is that he made it as far away as Britain, like would have been the disciple that traveled the most. But you know there's some guy up there called Slick Willie making money on that, you know? So most likely he was martyred. We're just not sure when or how. Everybody say amen. amen. Take a big breath. Let it out. We done, okay? I'm gonna talk real quick about Judas Iscariot, okay? Normally you would say last but not least. This time it's last and least. He's the bad guy. Boo, yes, right? Judas Iscariot, quite frankly, is one of the disciples we know the most about. Just because the gospels were very clear to identify which Judas was the traitor, why he did it, and, and so on and so forth. So he betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver, which led to Jesus' arrest, his death on the cross, okay? Today, 2023 in Sand Springs, today, the word Judas is a synonym for the word traitor. Well, you Judas, okay? It just, it just means betrayer or traitor, okay? Judas appears in several New Testament stories. While the gospel writers are unanimous in agreement that he's the one that betrayed Jesus, there are some interesting takes on his motivation. Why did he do that? One of them just paints the fact that he was just greedy. He just wanted the money. But one of the tales and narratives about Judas was that he was very much a part of the group that believed Jesus was not only a spiritual Messiah, but he was a political Messiah. Meaning that they were tired of being under the oppression of Rome and that God had sent him. Now Jesus was gonna be, he was gonna free us. He's gonna raise an army. He was gonna free us from the oppression of Rome. And so this theory is that Judas forced his hand. If I betray him and they arrest him and put him on trial and they're gonna execute him, but he's the Messiah that's gonna save us, he would have to use his divine powers. He would have to use his supernatural ability to to start the war, therefore freeing us from Roman oppression. And so there's some people think that Judas betrayed Jesus for political reasons. The stories of his death vary just a little bit. So there's two different places in scripture that talk about his death. One of them is in Matthew, Levi, who would have been a peer of his. The other comes from Acts, from Dr. Luke, and Luke would not have been there. So Matthew chapter 27, verse five, it says, so Judas threw the money into the temple and he left. Like he betrayed Jesus for 30 silver coins, but he regretted it, took it to the temple and threw it in there and left. Acts chapter one, verse 18 says, with the payment he received of all his wickedness, Judas bought a field and there like jumped off a cliff or like he fell headlong and his, it's gross, but his body burst open and all of his intestines spilled out. Now, critics of scripture, critics of Christianity use these two right here to say, well, see, the Bible contradicts itself, okay? Here's the deal, both of these accounts were written 30 years after it happened. Like, I don't remember what happened last year. So trying to write history, something that happened 30 years later, so things can get a little bit fuzzy, but it's also very possible that both happened. It's also very possible that Judas, because he also stole money from Jesus and the other disciples, like he's the guy that kept the money, 
It's also possible that through his bad acts, he had some money, he bought the field, throws the money back at there, and then he goes and hangs himself at this field, and his body hangs there because nobody wants to touch him. Eventually the rope would rot and break and he'd fall, and then his body would burst. It's gross. But it's possible that both happened. One's just telling the front end, one's just telling the back end, okay? Why in the world would you take 40 minutes to walk through the 12 disciples of Jesus? I have no idea. I'll see y'all next Sunday. No, I'm just, I'm just kidding. Listen, there's a lesson for you and I in this. Except for Judas, who killed himself. Except for John, that died of an old age. We fully believe 10 of the 12 disciples were martyred. They were murdered and killed because of the gospel, because they said, I am a Christian, I'm a follower of Christ. We don't know if they were married. We don't know if they had kids. All we know is the power of yes. When Jesus said, will you follow me? They said yes. Why stop and go through this list? I mean, it's good. Like, I, I like to know this stuff. I, enjoy, I had a blast studying these guys out, right? But why stop and go through this list? Because these 11 men changed the world. Jesus saw something in them, even the scum of the earth. Jesus saw something in them that could be used to take the gospel. They were just common men. We perceived they had been with Jesus. They would take the gospel maybe as far as Britain, maybe as far as Spain. They took it to Beirut. But I know right here in Sand Springs today, we have the Bible. We have the living, breathing word of God because of these 11 men said yes to God. And Jesus picked common people just like you and I, and they became world changers. So what can God do through you? Baby, you can be a world changer too. Amen, everybody. We might not know all the details. We might not know how they died, but we know them for their yes. When Jesus said, follow me, they said yes. What's your yes? Where are you saying yes to him? Because it's in that yes that he wants to use you to change the world. Listen, I don't know where you are with Jesus today. Maybe you've never said yes to him. Maybe you're not even a Christian. Maybe mom or spouse or friend said, hey, go to church with me. You know that you're not in right relationship with God. Here's the deal. All of us, all of us are guilty. All of us have sinned. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God. All of us have made mistakes. And the consequence of that is separation from our creator. Because of that, we can't go to heaven. But while you were stuck and dead in your sin, Jesus Christ came and died. He shed his blood, fulfilling the law that said without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sin. He shed his blood so that our mistakes and our sin could be forgiven. Paul would later write these words. It's not hard if you'll confess with your mouth that Jesus is your Lord and you believe in your heart, meaning you own it. God supernaturally raised him from the dead, meaning he was the son of God. If you believe that, you not, maybe not might, you will be saved. Have you ever done that? Have you ever confessed and believed that Jesus is your savior? God raised him from the dead. 
There's no magic formula to that. I just want to simply lead you in a prayer. It's the best way I know how to confess and believe. If you know today you're not in right relationship with Jesus, I just invite you right there. Just nobody move around. I want you to bow your head, close your eyes. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to ask you to talk to anybody walking off. I just want to lead you in a prayer where we're going to confess and believe. If you know you need to do this just right there at your seat, just pray this with me. Just pray, dear Heavenly Father, right there, just dear Heavenly Father, I come to you today because I need you. I've made a lot of mistakes in my life. I don't want that anymore. Would you forgive me? Would you come into my life Begin to change me. Make me a new person. Today, Jesus, I completely surrender my whole life to you. Every head bowed, every eye closed, you're here today and you prayed that prayer with me. I'm not gonna embarrass you. You don't have to stand up. I just wanna pray for you real quick. Just slip your hand up real high. Anybody here today, pray that prayer with me. Just slip it up real high. Don't miss this moment. Anyone? Okay, I see it. Anybody else? That's the best decision you'll ever make. Spirit of the living God, you see those hands in here this morning responding to the gospel, responding to this internal need. I need Jesus. I need to be right with God. Father, I thank you. They took that small step of faith to just pray that prayer. I thank you, God, that when we did that, you forgave us. You saved us in that moment. Lord, I thank you for the power of yes, that moment. Father, bring Christians around them. Help them to understand. It's a lot the best decision of their eternity. I pray you help them to understand, God, what you've done for them in this moment. The enemy might try to talk them out of it, God, but I know, I know that in this moment, we nailed it down. God, I love what you're doing in our church through our winter blast and student ministries. Father, even through the preaching of the word, like the disciples, people are coming to know God and find freedom, discover their purpose and make a difference. In the beautiful matchless name of Jesus, we pray and everybody said, Come on, give God the biggest praise you got this morning that never gets old. Come on. I hope you enjoyed the podcast today. If you did, there's a couple of things I want to invite you to do. First, hit the subscribe button. That way, you won't miss a single episode. Secondly, if this message has impacted you and you would like to help us reach others, visit our website at hillspring.tv and hit the Give Now button so that we can take this message around the globe. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time.